today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, by saying, once you had not received mercy, well, mercy is not receiving what you deserve. So essentially, Peter is saying this, once we would only receive exactly what we deserved. Now, in our culture, everybody believes that they should get what they deserve, right? We're all about that. That seems like a great idea. No free handouts, right? You only get what you deserve, right? Well, it seems like a great idea until it comes to us. Open God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. In our text today, Pastor Ricky will be encouraging us to remember that once we were not a people, and in the past we lived in darkness, without hope, joy, or satisfaction. But now God is in our life. We aren't called to dwell on our past failures and reflect continuously on the evil we once did. But it's always good to remember God's goodness and how He transformed us. This is extremely important to remember when preaching the gospel to unbelievers, because now you can be more approachable and relatable. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with part one of his message entitled, Once But Now. I've been involved one way or another with ministry since college. So for about 10 years, I've walked with people through things. And over the course of those 10 years, I've sat with people in kind of the immediate aftermath of a revelation that someone has committed adultery. Sat across from people who have just found out that their spouse has been unfaithful to them. I've seen the pain in their eyes. I've seen the way that it begins to unravel their world. And I've also sat with people years later, 10 years later, who when things are going on and the subject comes up, it's the same pain almost. It almost doesn't seem to go away. They can, by God's grace, uh, after, after something like that, couples can, by God's grace, be restored and, and God bless them. But there is an aspect of pain that does not quickly go away. And sometimes I think when we think of our relationship to God only through the lens of judicial stuff, we think of an American courtroom with somebody, blah, 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 and it's all abstract and it's all kind of formal and, oh, yes, you're guilty before me, blah, 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 blah. But we forget what it's like to see a spouse with tears streaming out of their eyes with the pain of adultery fresh. And God says, this is what you've done to me. Friends, this is true of us. Every time we turn away from God in our sin and break his commandments, we have committed spiritual adultery. Every time we treat something else the way that we should only treat God, we've committed spiritual adultery. It can be a relationship. It can be lust. It can be power. It can be money. It can be self-righteousness or pride. And the result is this. The result is that forever we should be not God's people. Our longing should continue to ache unabated for eternity because we've lost the thing, the one that we were made to belong to. But what's amazing is that Peter says, now you are God's people. 
This is impossible, but this is true. In chapter three of the book of Hosea, God tells the prophet this, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Think about the pain the prophet would feel hearing this. Hasn't she hurt him enough? Can't he leave her? But this, friends, this is the relentless love of God. And the very next verse is this. So, he says, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. And what's implied is that her pursuit of her lovers had eventually left her destitute, had actually sold her into slavery. And so Hosea finds his wife after searching for her on the auction block, probably dirty, probably broken, probably far from what he remembered on their wedding day. And Hosea's words are impossible and true, and yet they are God's words to us. Hosea says this, I said to her, you must dwell as mine. For many days, you shall not belong to to another man. So will I also be to you. God is saying to his people, even though you ran, even though you were unfaithful, you will once again be unique to me in all the world. And I will be unique to you in all the world. This This is exactly what Peter means for us to feel when he says this. Before we talk about what we're supposed to do in our Christian lives, he wants us to hear this. He wants us to feel this. And this, friends, is costly. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but this is costly. He had to buy his wife back. And perhaps Peter is thinking about this when in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says, you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The price to get us off the auction block was that Christ himself would drain his own veins. Once you were not a people, but but now you are God's people. We have been purchased back to the one we belong to. And the result of this, the glorious result of this, is that people who spent their whole lives in an empty quest to belong can finally stop running and can finally belong. And this belonging doesn't come first from even a spouse or a family or, or from friendships or from jobs or from notoriety. The greatest longing of the human heart is to be fully known and fully loved, to have somebody know everything about us and still say to us, you belong to me. The commentator says this, Ed Clowney says this, if God does not choose his people for their worth or their serviceability, why does he choose them? The answer is clear. The Lord loves because he loves. Nothing can explain the love of God for sinners. God's good pleasure is the movement of his own will springing up from his own nature. How the language of love is lavished upon God's people in the Old Testament. They are God's inheritance, his personal and prized possession, his treasure. God bears them on his shoulders, carries them in his arms, holds them in his hands, seats them at his feet. He loves them with a jealous love. They are to be his to the exclusion of all other gods. They bear his name. The love of a father for a son, of a husband for a wife is used to describe God's love for his people. That is what it means for us to belong to God, to be once not a people, not his people, but now be God's people, the people that God himself says to and looks in the eye and says, you are mine, you belong to me. 
So let's apply this gospel truth to those categories we talked about earlier. Friend, if you cannot get beyond the pain of your circumstances, you are very likely hurting. You are very likely feeling alone. And hear this. God enters into your broken world. God experienced for you the pain of rejection and alienation from God, the one you were made to belong to, so you would never have to experience that. And a banner, friend, if you are in Christ, a banner hangs over you today that says this, you belong to God. You are loved by God. You are purchased by God. You are unique to him in all the world. He loves you with a relentless love that will not stop. It will not give up. It will not let go. So understand this. Though the pain of your circumstances is real, you belong to God. Jesus said that, that, that those whom the Father gives him, no one can snatch out of his hand. It does not change God's special love that has been set upon you. You belong to him. And so, so in light of that, you can trust him. You may not understand the reason for your circumstances. You may not be able to discern exactly why this or that is happening. But understand this. This is true. You belong to him. Now, if perhaps you struggle with motivation to proclaim, to give your life wholly and completely over to Jesus. Maybe you're wondering, if I go all in with Jesus, am I really gonna be okay? What if these things that I like, that I feel like I can't live without, he's calling me to give them up if I'm gonna follow him, so can I really do that? Friend, listen to this. He has moved heaven and earth to pursue you. He has gone after you. He has bought you off the auction block and brought you home and said, you are mine. And so, friend, you can trust him. Whatever desire you have that your life would go well, he has that to eternity. He loves you. And you can trust him with your life. And last, I'll say this. If you're struggling with what it means to be a Christian, I want you to hear this. Apart from Christ, the things that you seek to give you that thing that you, that you most long for, that, that longing for belonging is going to be empty anywhere but here. And friend, we don't tell you that because we're mean people. We, we tell you that because we are sinners that somehow have found, fulfilled the desire of our deepest longing in Jesus. And so we are jealous that you experience exactly what we have experienced. And there is an invitation in this. There's an invitation from the Lord that that longing that you feel can be fulfilled today in Jesus. That God is pursuing you this morning. That you are here because God is pursuing you. You didn't show up here by accident. So hear this. Being a Christian is not doing enough good things to, to make God love you. Maybe you're going to church, maybe you're doing some of this stuff because you feel like, well, I need to kind of work my way back into the love of God or into the favor of God. You can't. But Christ wants to buy you off the offering block and make you his. That's the good news of Christianity. So turn today, believe today, put those other loves aside today and cling to Jesus today. Now, though, the, the great dilemma of the universe is this, how can this happen? 
Okay, how can an adulterer be pursued and won again? How can those who do not belong belong again? How can this happen? Well, Peter gives it to us in the next verse. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, by saying once you had not received mercy, well, mercy is not receiving what you deserve. So essentially, Peter is saying this. Once we would only receive exactly what we deserved. Now, in our culture, everybody believes that they should get what they deserve, right? We're all about that. That seems like a great idea. No free handouts, right? You only get what you deserve, right? Well, it seems like a great idea until it comes to us. I heard a pastor use an illustration like this that I thought was compelling. Um, Maybe you're not a Christian and you're struggling with the idea of God being right in judging us. So the pastor said this, okay, we'll say this. You have a moral set of rules you live your life by, right? So without even introducing all of my rules from the Bible, what if we just took your rules for how to live? Would you perfectly fulfill them? Do you believe you should be kind and decent? Always? Okay. Have you done it? Do you believe everyone should show up to work on time and work hard and never take personal calls and always give 100%? Have you done it? Do you believe that you should always speak kindly to your spouse and make them the first priority in your life and make them feel like the most important person in the world to you? Have you done it? Have you vowed never to get angry at your kids, never raise your voice, and never act out of spite or vindictiveness? Have you done it? Have you vowed to never lie, but have you done it anyway? See, the pastor said this. Each of us carries around with us, broken as it is, a sense of the moral requirements of God's law, which are laid out clearly in the Bible. But even just taking your law on its face, you would stand condemned by your own law. We know instinctively that if we got exactly what we deserved, it would be fearful. And here's the good, here's, I mean, here's the reality. If, if Hosea is a true picture of humanity, we don't have good things coming to us. We've run after other lovers. We've rejected God's love. We've gotten ourselves into slavery. And yet, and yet, what God says to us is now you have received mercy. Now, mercy is not receiving what we deserve. It is God's compassionate love for his people. In Hosea's story, the adulterous wife deserved to be cut off, to be left on the auction block, to never see her faithful husband again. But that is not what she received. Mercy is so essential to God's character in the Old Testament that a commentator says this, in some, such, in some situations, the adjective merciful alone can be used to refer to God. In other words, merciful is equated with God himself. And again and again, God showed his people mercy. His choice to set his love on them when they had nothing to commend themselves was mercy. His redemption of them from Egypt was mercy. His salvation of them from many enemies was mercy. The commentator says this, the experience of God's people was that his mercy revealed in acts of redemption was like human mercy, inexhaustible. See, we all get to a limit, don't we, with mercy? Well, I'll say, we'll give this person another chance in our lives, this this family member, this person at work, this person at school, we'll give you one more chance. But after a certain amount of time, that's it, right? What the commentator is saying from studying the whole Old Testament is this, God's mercy is unlike human mercy, inexhaustible. But But real mercy is also costly. Real mercy costs someone something. 
Um, you know, I, I once, this may be surprising to you, but I once showed up in court because I forgot that I had jury duty. Um, I had the notice, put it on my bedside table, forgot about it, didn't show up, got a letter in the mail, you're going to court. So I showed up at court. Now, if you go to the courthouse uh, downtown, there are kind of two atmospheres in the courthouse, outside of courtrooms. The first atmosphere was the atmosphere out like the atmosphere outside of the jury duty court, where everybody is rolling their eyes and going, make, I mean, I've never heard so many deep sighs or seen as many eye rolls as people that were there because they missed jury duty. I mean, it's a line of people, you know, and you don't have a cell phone either, so everyone's just like, you know, they don't know what to do with their hands. Like, I, I'm, like, it's why we have pockets. You can just put them right there. That's fine. Um, and they're just, they're just like, oh, oh, this is lame. It's the waves. And you can see people sneaking phone calls. Like, this is so lame. I can't believe I'm here. It's just ridiculous. You know, and everyone's sort of rolling their eyes because, okay, because instinctively, here's what we think. We think, okay, missing jury duty doesn't really cost anybody anything, right? I haven't hurt a baby or something like that. I haven't run over a dog. I've just forgotten to show up to jury duty. Like, and we instinctively realize, okay, and actually, what's funny is everybody sort of expects the judge to show them mercy. Because it's like, look, it's not a big deal. Just give me another chance, right? See, in that situation, mercy isn't super costly. What does that save you? Well, like 50 bucks? What does it cost the city of El Paso? Maybe some inconvenience. But there's another atmosphere at the courthouse, isn't there? There's an atmosphere as you walk up the floors, as you're headed to jury duty court, there's an atmosphere around some courtrooms where people are crying, where people are broken and sad, where people are hurting, and you realize, I don't know what happened in that courtroom, but something that cost somebody something dear happened in that courtroom. Maybe somebody's life savings that evaporated. Maybe it was somebody who took the life of a family member or a friend. And for the judge in that situation, in staring out at a sea of aggrieved faces to show mercy and leniency seems impossible, doesn't it? And so here we are. We are spiritual adulterers. We've sinned against God. And so for us to show up and just expect that God would give us mercy is insane. We show up and expect justice. And yet what we get is mercy. So the Bible's question is this, how does this happen? What was seen of God's mercy in the Old Testament was fully articulated in the New Testament in one place, in the person of Jesus. Jesus was the mercy of God embodied. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. An exchange takes place. In the courtroom, somebody bursts in and says, take me instead. On the cross, as Jesus shed his blood, he paid our legal penalty in full. That is costly and that is, is mercy. And in paying the legal penalty, he fully restored us to relationship with himself. That is mercy. That costs something relationally. And there is another mercy that we do not only, it's not only as if we do not receive what we deserve, we receive what we do not deserve, which is the righteousness of Jesus. Not only is there a freight train barreling its way toward us that we do not receive, we receive an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for us, for nothing, because Jesus deserved it. That is mercy. 
Peter believes that understanding the mercy of God is so important that he bookends this whole section of the letter with mercy. It starts in chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According, listen, to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And then he ends this section pointing back to the great mercy that God has shown us. And in between, it's Mercy, we have an inheritance because of mercy in 1.5. We are being guarded for salvation because of mercy, 1.12. The mysteries of Christ have been revealed because of mercy, 1.14. We can put away passions of ignorance and live new lives. Why? Because God is merciful, 1.18. We were ransomed from the feudal ways which we were once trapped in by mercy. We are brought into what Christ is doing in the world in 2.5 by mercy. We are brought together with other believers. Why? By mercy. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and every single bit of what we receive is mercy. And this changes everything. Brother or sister, if you cannot get beyond the pain of your circumstances, I want you to hear something. Your suffering is real, but this mercy is also real. And in the perspective of eternity, when you step back and weigh your life, your, this mercy that has been shown to you will shine far brighter than your suffering. You have a reason to proclaim even in the worst of times. And friends, it, let me just say this as a pastor of this church. Um, it is an unbelievable and surprisingly consistent experience of mine that the people in our church that are suffering the most, most loudly proclaim this mercy. And I love you guys for it. See, our world sees our pain or our circumstances or our suffering as the thing that defines our lives, as the banner that hangs over us. But Christ replaces it with a banner of his own making. And it says this, by mercy, these are mine. Now, what if you're struggling with this idea of, of God's called you to proclaim and you're to give your whole life over to him. But there's always something else. There's always something else that seems more pressing, more urgent. Maybe you'll get to evangelism. You'll get to building relationships. You'll get to building the church someday. Something happens that clears our schedules, friends, and it's this. We've been shown mercy. We should have gone to punishment forever, but now we're going to heaven forever. So that tends to clear our schedule a bit. But you know what else it does? It reassures us that God loves us and that his call for us is a call of love, that when we follow him in doing what we were made to do, we will find that the one who has been merciful to us will continue to be merciful to us. And last, let me say this. If you are struggling with what it means to be a Christian, I don't think I can say it better than mercy. It means receiving the mercy of Christ, it means that you, that this mercy is being held out to you with open arms and you accept it. You say, yes. You say, I'm gonna turn my life over. I want this mercy. And you can do that today by God's grace. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. First Peter is one of those hard-hitting books in the Bible intended to shake us to the core. 
In this series, Pastor Ricky will be sharing messages entitled The Countercultural Christian Community and The Time is Short and many more. Each one of these messages will bring insight into specific areas in the Christian life. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcanta of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at www.betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, the number to call is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here on Better News Radio is courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series in the book of 1 Peter next time on Better News Radio. Open.